0: And the second reading starts with Nehemiah, chapter 6, on page 416 of your Bibles. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message, Come let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me, so I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Then, the fifth time, Sanballat sent his assistant to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter, in which was written, It is reported amongst the nations, and Geshem says it is true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king, and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us confer together. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking... Their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, Now strengthen my hands. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was shut in at his home. He said, Let us meet in the house of God, inside the temple, and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night, they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away, or should one like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sabbalat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who have been trying to intimidate me. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul, in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Also in those days, the nobles of Judah were sending many letters to Tobiah and replies from Tobiah kept coming to them. For many in Judah were under oath to him, since he was son in law to Shechaniah, son of Arah, and his son Jehoanan had married the daughter of Meshullam, son of Berechiah. Moreover, they kept reporting to me his good deeds and then telling him what I said. And Tobiah sent letters to intimidate me. After the wall had been rebuilt, and I had set the doors in place, the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites were appointed. I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most men do. I said to them, the gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot. While the gatekeepers are still on duty, Make them shut the doors and bar them. Also, appoint residents of Jerusalem as guards, some at their posts and some near their own houses. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Hello, everyone. If I haven't met you before, my name is Andrew West. I have the wonderful joy of being the pastor of this service. I'd love to meet you after if I haven't met you before. Let's pray as we look at Nehemiah chapter 6. God, we do thank you for Jesus. Thank you that when we were far off, when we were your enemies, you loved us, gave up your son for us. By trusting in him, we're forgiven, have eternal life your children. Lord, show us tonight how to live for you, for your honour and your glory. Amen. When a leader falls, others fall with them. I remember a church I used to go to, and it was discovered that the assistant minister had been cheating on his wife. Just think of the impact that would have had on our church. There's a man who's meant to be teaching God's word, meant to be a godly example. Think of the impact. He had to leave ministry. The numbers in our church dropped for quite a number of years. And people still today that I know struggle to trust the church. When a leader falls... It's often not just that leader that falls, but plenty of others fall with them. Nehemiah's enemies, they knew that. They got that principle. Nehemiah's there, he's in Jerusalem. He's working on the walls, rebuilding them for God's glory, for the good of his people. And he's been facing opposition the whole time, but this time Nehemiah's enemies get personal. This time, Nehemiah's Nehemiah's enemies attack Nehemiah personally because they know if they can stop Nehemiah, then others will stop. If they can discourage Nehemiah, then others will be discouraged about building the wall and they might be able to stop the work entirely. When a leader falls, others fall with them. You need to know tonight, if you are a leader, anytime you step up to do God's work, You'll face opposition, and sometimes it's going to be personal. Whether you're a kid's church leader, whether you lead by doing Bible readings or prayers up the front, whether you lead in welcoming, whether you lead in our dinner ministry, connect group leading, whatever it is. And tragically, many leaders, when they face opposition, they get discouraged. They give up leading entirely. Some of them even fall into sin. It's not just for leaders, though. I'll be here tonight. Maybe you don't consider yourself a leader. I think, in a way, we're all leaders. We all influence others. And we're all called to use our gifts to serve the church in ministry. Every single one of us. We're all called to make disciples of other people. And so, all of us need to be ready for opposition, ready for personal attack. It could be from Satan. It could be from family and friends. It could be in the workplace. It might even be within the people of God. Nehemiah is there at the beginning of chapter 6, and what we hear is that the walls are almost finished. The walls are almost completed. And the enemies are watching, Sandalat, Tobiah, and Geshem. Their names just sound like bad guy names, don't they? They're there watching. And we know these guys exist, not just from the Bible. There are historical records of these guys existing from outside the Bible. Always worth remembering that these are events that really happened. And what do they do? They try to oppose Nehemiah in three ways. First way, assassination. Assassination. Look at chapter 6, verse 2. Sambalad and Geshem sent me this message. Come. Come. Let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messages to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Nehemiah's enemies go, Hey, Nehemiah, look, I know we've had a bit of a rough time. I know things have been a little bit tense between us why don't we grab a coffee? Let's just chat it out, man. Let's just, you know, get to know each other. Let's meet an Ono. Now, just the name Ono should be sending off alarm bells. Nehemiah, it wasn't going to be full full for it. Ono was a whole day's journey away from Jerusalem. He would have had to stop working on the wall for a long time. And Nehemiah knew that when he got there, they were planning probably to take him out, assassinate him. Not take him out for a coffee, actually take out his life. And they asked him four times. But he's so committed to the work of God, so committed to working on the wall, this great work, he says no four times. Second type of opposition he faces, fabrication. Fabrication, lies. Look at verse five. Then the fifth time, Sambalat sent his aid to me with the same message. And in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you're building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you're about to become their king, and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us meet together. I sent him this reply, Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. They're all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. This time, uh, a letter is written by Sanballat, and it's an open letter. It's like when someone writes a blog and they intend for everyone to read it, okay? Sanballat's there, he's blogging, and his blog post is filled with lies. He He says, oh, the reason Nehemiah's really building this wall isn't for God, now he wants to become king. He wants to rebel against the king of Persia. He wants to have a revolution. He wants to be king. Sambalad is trying to discredit Nehemiah's name so that in verse 9, you see, so that everyone gets so discouraged that the work on the wall stops. He's full of lies. And Nehemiah says, mate, you're making it all up. This has just all come out of your head. I wonder, has everyone, anyone ever told you what? told a lie about you, to misrepresent you, damage your reputation. In 2016, there were some churches in the Central Coast who made it into the newspapers. What had happened was there were some groups that wanted to stop these churches from meeting in public school halls. What they did was listen through all the past sermons these churches had done. They must have spent ages listening for references to homosexuality. Then they took little snippets, half a sentence here and there, pulled it entirely out of context, misrepresented it, and the newspaper headline said, this pastor believes gay people should face the death sentence. Entirely a lie. You listen to the sermon, he didn't say that at all. But they succeeded when one of the churches kicked out of their meeting place in a public school hall. Lies, intending to stop the work of God. Assassination, fabrication. Thirdly, intimidation. Intimidation. Look at verse 10. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabal, who was shut in at his home. He said, Let us meet in the house of God, inside the temple, and let us close the temple doors, because men are coming to kill you. By night, they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this. And then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Shemaiah, he's claiming to be a prophet. He says to Nehemiah, Nehemiah, I've got a word from God for you. People are coming to kill you. You should be very afraid. Let's meet in the temple. Let's hang out there. We'll shut the doors. No one will know. You'll be safe there. And Nehemiah knows this was a lie. This man was paid, hired by the enemy to intimidate him, to intimidate him so that he sins, so that people get discouraged, so that the work stops. Assassination, fabrication, intimidation, it's relentless what Nehemiah is facing, isn't it? See, when you do God's work, people will try and oppose you. They may try and distract you. What are you doing spending all that time preaching the Bible, looking at the Bible? (sighs) Focus on other things. They they might try and discourage you. Really, you go to church? No one believes that stuff anymore. That stuff's out of date. What are you doing? The church isn't going to grow. Or they may try and stop you. I could tell you about the lobby group, Fearis, who... Is trying to ban scripture in all schools. In Victoria, they went through the church newsletters of small churches, found references to scripture, pulled them out of context, uh, publicised it, and successfully got scripture banned from schools in Victoria. And they're trying to do the same thing in New South Wales. I could tell you about when I was one of the leaders at the Christian group at Sydney University. Evangelical Union, about a 1,000 students were members, and we were intimidated. We were told that they were going to stop us from being a club on society, a club on campus. We were the oldest club on campus, meeting for about 100 years, but we were going to be deregistered as a club because we required that our members were Christians. Christian club requiring that members are Christians and intimidated, threatened that we would be deregistered as a club. People will try and stop us. They do. Perhaps some of you in this room tonight, you know personally what it's like to face opposition. From friends, in the workplace, family. Now, let's not get... Too sorry for ourselves. I think we can start to say, Oh, woe is us, we're being persecuted so badly. Around the world, there are Christians who have been persecuted far worse than us, right? And we've had it so good in the West for the last 500 or so years, so comfortable as Christians. I think we're just kind of waking up now to what it really means to follow Jesus. But at the same time, let's be realistic. This is happening, it's increasing. So how are we going to respond? When we face personal opposition, what are we going to do? Three things Nehemiah shows us. Three things in response. Firstly, we need discernment. We need discernment. Discernment is knowing the difference between what is good and what is evil. What is right and what is wrong. That's discernment. I uh, I got a phone call from my mum a few weeks ago. She was in distress. She said, Andrew, Andrew, my computer's just totally stuffed up. I uh, downloaded some program. I can't find any of my files. Uh, There's a a male voice talking to me through the speakers, asking for money. And when I go to Google, it looks like it's Google, but it says weknow.com in the address bar. What do I do? I said, Mum, you've got a virus. You've got a virus. Don't touch anything. Don't, yeah, let me fix it. And we fixed it. We fixed the computer. And then I tried to teach her how to be discerning on your computer. I tried to teach her not to download dodgy programs, not to click on things you really shouldn't click on, and just be discerning and I'm still trying to teach her that it's probably not the best idea to have a folder on your desktop called passwords. Probably probably not the safest thing, Mum. She still hasn't listened to me on that one. I get worried that as Christians we can be a bit like my mum. Totally undiscerning. There are attacks coming on us, and we can be a bit naive. Nehemiah wasn't. He's not gullible. He's not a pushover. He's not falling for it. The enemies, they invite him to Ono. And he says, oh no to Ono. Okay? He says, no, thank you. That's not happening. He doesn't fall for their tricks. In verse 12, when Shemiah invites him into the temple, Nehemiah, verse 11, says, no, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go into the temple. He realizes that this man was hired by the enemy. He's discerning. He's switched on. He's not gullible. Now, why was he so discerning? Why is he so discerning? Is it because he's super wise? It's because he knows the scriptures. He knows the Bible. See, Nehemiah knew that God had commanded that only priests could enter the temple. And even then, only a few times a year. And so here's this prophet claiming to be a prophet saying, "Hey, let's meet in the temple." Nehemiah's thinking, well, hang on, that doesn't line up with what I know God has said. This can't be true. He knows the scriptures, and so he's ready to discern what's right and what's wrong, what's truth and what's a lie. And that's what we need. When we face opposition, when people try and attack us, lie to us, say the Bible means this, when it really means that, do we know the Bible? Do we know the Scriptures? In 1 John, it's up on the screen. It says this, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Don't be naive. Test what you hear against the Word of God. Test what you hear against the Scriptures. The next verse, 1 Peter, also on the screen. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Isn't that terrifying? The devil is prowling around like a lion, ready to devour you. He wants you to sin. He wants to stop you following Jesus. He wants to discourage you from God's work. He wants to stop 6 p.m. from growing. He's prowling. Are we alert? Are we switched on? Are we discerning? We need discernment. The second thing we need in response to opposition, personal opposition, is integrity. Integrity. Peggy Noonan is a speechwriter and a biographer of American presidents. And she writes these words about American presidents In a president, character is everything. A president doesn't have to be brilliant, he doesn't have to be clever. You can hire clever, you can hire pragmatic, and you can buy and bring in policy wonks but you cannot buy courage and decency. You can't rent a moral sense. A president must bring those things with him. I think she's right. In a leader, character matters. Integrity matters. And the time when you can tell someone's character is when you're under pressure. The time when you can tell someone's character is when they're opposed when there's opposition. And Nehemiah, he's there, he's opposed, he's in opposition, people are attacking him, and you know what we see about him? He's a man of character. He's a man of integrity. He refuses to sin against God. Why? Because he fears God more than he fears humans. He fears God more than he fears what others can do to him. God to him is so incredible, so worthy of his praise, so worthy of all his joy and thanksgiving. He fears God, and so he doesn't care or fear what others can do to him. Even if they could kill him, he'd rather die than sin against God by going into the temple when he wasn't meant to. See, when you fear God, it frees you from caring about what other people think about you. And so Nehemiah refuses to sin. It's like Jesus. Jesus went to the cross, faced death. He never sinned. He never betrayed his heavenly father. That's why in chapter seven, Nehemiah has a moment where he gets to pick a wingman. He's got a moment where he gets to pick a commander. And how does he pick his commander? Based on muscle, skill, experience. No, look at verse 2. I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most people do. He picked him because he's got integrity. He fears God. When it comes to picking leaders in our church, picking people to serve, you can learn skills, you can learn experience. What matters is godly character. Loving Jesus, serving Jesus. That needs to always be the most important thing. It's a man of integrity. We need discernment. We need integrity. And finally, in the face of personal opposition, we need God. We need God himself. In moments where the opposition seems so great, it's tempting to think there's no hope. It's tempting to think that there's no way this work on the wall will get done. There's no way the church will grow. And yet Nehemiah, rather than discouragement, Depends on God. Rather than discouragement, he depends on God. And as a result of his dependence on God, he keeps on working. Iran is one of the most persecuted countries in the whole world. In 1979, when Iran came under Sharia law, there were in the whole country, get this, 500 Christians. 500. By the year 2005, there were 40,000 Christians in Iran. By the year 2010, 175,000 Christians in Iran. Now, it's hard to get a proper estimate but the estimates are between 300,000 and 1 million Christians in Iran. And yet this is a country where people have to meet in secret house churches in fear of their lives. In moments where it seems impossible, God can do it. One of the key leaders of the Iranian church, Mehdi Dabaj, He was killed in the 1990s. But one of his final words he said in the Islamic courts, and he said this, I would rather have the whole world against me, but know that the almighty God is with me. Be called an apostate, but know that I have the approval of the God of glory. Life for me is an opportunity to serve him And death is a better opportunity to be with Christ. Therefore, I am not only satisfied to be in prison for the honor of his holy name, but ready to give my life for the sake of Jesus, my Lord, and enter his kingdom sooner. That's a man who knows that God can grow his church, even in opposition, who joyfully served even to the point of death. Nehemiah, he realizes it seems impossible, but rather than discouragement, he depends on God. See what he says in verse 9? Now strengthen my hands. He prays. Strengthen my hands, God, I need you. In verse 14, he depends on God for justice. He prays again. Read what he prays in verse 14. Remember Tobiah and Sambalat, my God, because of what they've done. Remember also the prophet Noah Dyer and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. Sometimes I think in opposition, we think we're the ones that need to bring justice. We think we're the ones that need to bring judgment. No, it's God. It's God's job. That's really freeing, actually. We trust him. We hope in him. That's Nehemiah. He's depending on the Lord. And look at what happens. Look at how it ends. Verse 15. So the war was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Despite the opposition, the wall is finished. Those enemies who were trying to make Nehemiah afraid and intimidated, they were afraid because they realized God has done this. God is victorious. God has been with Nehemiah. He's accomplished his work. You know, if we want to see our church grow, if we want to see 6 p.m. grow, and God has been growing our church, if we want to see this service grow, we... It's not about marketing, music, preaching. Those things are important, but we can't change hearts. We need God. We need God to work. And in the moments of opposition, there's moments you just feel like you can't go on. There's moments you just feel like you... You're the only one standing up for Jesus in your workplace. Those moments you feel nervous about putting your reputation on the line and your family. In those moments, trust God. Nehemiah depends on God and that leads him to keep going, keep building, keep trusting How amazing is it that God wants to use us to build his church, to build his people? We get to do this. We get to serve him. We get to be part of making followers of Jesus and building up his church. It won't always be easy. There will be opposition. We need discernment. We need character and integrity, fearing the Lord more than others. And most of all, we need God. God to be working. God to accomplish his work. Let's pray together. God, we pray for people in this room tonight who are facing opposition. Opposition for following you. Would you be with them? Strengthen their hands. For those of us who feel weary, would you be with us? Strengthen our hands. May we serve you, be ready to suffer for you. Help us to fear you more than what others think about us, more than what others can do to us. Help us to be devoted to your work, devoted to sharing the gospel, loving others, doing your kingdom work. Strengthen our hands,
0: we pray. Amen.